I'm Tom DeSorcy. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. This is Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. Much has been said about mental health in Canada, which is not a bad thing, as awareness is so, so important. Today in the program, two guests on the topic. First, you may know him for his advocacy for mental health in Canada, and prior to that as the host of TSN's Off the Record. He shared his struggles with depression in 2009 and is the founder of Sick Not Weak. Also joining us to lend a fire perspective is an equally vocal advocate for mental health in the fire service, in not only the city of Toronto, but beyond. It's a pleasure to welcome Michael Landsberg and Fire Chief Matthew Pegg. Uh, a pleasure. Thanks for thanks for your time today. Yeah, Thank uh, thanks for having us. Uh, I can talk about us like we're a team because we are buddies, um, just so you know, which means that I'm uh, fully capable of insulting him because that's what men do when they're buddies, right? Uh, but I, I, lo- I, I actually really admire this guy, and he's shaped my way of talking about mental health. Um, so uh, thank you for uh, giving us the chance. Full disclosure within the first 60 seconds, you know, you got to love it. Uh, <laughs> Michael, you know, you, you, it's been, I said, 2009. You obviously have a story and I want to I want to know that. I want you to share that story to start things off today. OK, I'll try not to breathe during this story so I can get it out fast enough. So uh, I'll take a big breath now and say I battled anxiety from my earliest memory. Uh, I was afraid of things as a kid that other people weren't afraid of. And that shaped a lot of the decisions I made in my life. But I had no idea that I was battling anxiety because I had A, never lived in anyone else's brain, so I didn't know what was normal. And B, nobody ever talked about it. No one ever spoke about it. So here I am uh, being affected by anxiety, not knowing that there's actually something clinically wrong with me and that there would be options for making me feel better. So uh, anxiety was with me all along. And uh, then about 20 years ago, uh, I got hit by something that totally shocked me, totally shocked me. Not that I got hit by depression because, I mean, stuff happens. It shocked me how bad it was. It was like I was lifeless, but I was still alive. It was like every cell of my body was crying out, but I couldn't express what it felt like. It was something new and something so horrible that I wanted to apologize to all the people that I had judged over the years thinking, ah, you know, depression, what the hell is that? So um, I never spoke about it on Off the Record because I thought no one would care. I thought, you know, like they'll just think, oh, Lansberg, you know, he knows we don't like him, so he just wants us to feel sorry for him. Uh, and then one day in 2009, uh, we had uh, Stefan Riche as a guest on Off the Record, famous hockey player. I knew that he had battled depression in the 1990s. I asked him if I could ask him how he was doing. And he said, I don't like to talk about it. So I said, OK, would it help if I talked about it? He said, what would you talk about? I told him my story and he said, let's go ahead and do it. And that's the only reason why we're here today, because the reaction that we got from three minutes on television, that was it, just three minutes the reaction changed my life and I found out that there's a huge value to talking about your mental illness without shame and without embarrassment and without seeming weak. What changed after that, after that uh, disclosure, if you will? Uh, Well, nothing changed with me in how people saw me from the standpoint of my career. I I, I never cared about that. I didn't even like when, when we were done the show, Tom, So this is like 4.30 in the afternoon and the show goes to air at six o'clock Eastern time. When we were done the show, 
I totally forgot about it after that, until that night when we started getting emails to the show, um, basically saying that um, a lot of the men saying that their lives were changed because they heard two guys speaking about depression. So what changed in my life was the focus of my life, the realization that I had something really valuable for other people that took no effort whatsoever for me to give out like this conversation now it's not like i gotta uh you know i gotta suck it up and be brave you know brave is when you do something that scares you and this doesn't scare me so that's what changed matt for you you know you've you've certainly got a story and and sick not weak resonated with with you and i want to know why well uh sick not weak and this uh this man my friend michael here is uh, is actually the whole reason why I ever started talking about any of this openly. And, and frankly, Michael is the reason why I'm involved in this at all. So uh, we hired, Toronto Fire Services hired Michael to do a keynote for us at one of our health and safety days. And uh, he w- he came to do that. And uh, as he will, uh, I will tell you so that he doesn't have to, I didn't show up to that. Uh, I wasn't there, but uh, he, he came to the day and he did a presentation and it was really well received. And uh, doing what I did, I engaged on social media afterwards and reached out and I had done some Twitter stuff or X, I guess it's called now, and had just, you know, thanked Michael publicly. And in uh, what I have come to love about him, he called me out. So the response to that was, and oh, it was great to be there. Thanks. The response a- across the Twitterverse was, hey, well, it was great to be there, but I have a question for you. Are you one of these guys? Are you one of these leaders that just wants to bring in the mental health guy and then you go on with your day? Or are you actually interested in making a difference? And I'm like, really? Okay, well, this is interesting. So that formed the start of a relationship. And then fast forward, uh, Michael and I were actually shooting a, a, an internal staff video together at headquarters one day, and we had stopped. We, we had filmed part of it, and we had stopped for a lunch break. And just organically, I asked him something that I'd never thought of before. I, I said during the lunch, I said, do you think it would be relevant or, you know, at all useful if I talked about the fact that I see a psychologist and that I do a quarterly checkup from the neck up? And he looks at me and he says, what are you freaking stupid? Of course that makes a difference. And that was it. Scrapped the entire plan. And the rest of that video became an entire new plan, which was all around that. And uh, I'm really happy to say that fast forward now a number of years, uh, Michael helped me find what is just a really, a really small niche for me. But that niche is uh, I'm blessed to have a, a, an amount of porf- an amount of profile, and I have a voice, and I think that I I am able to make a difference in a, in a, a really small piece of this, but that is hopefully to help to break down the stigmas that are associated in our business and in the world about reaching out and getting professional help to both get healthy and stay healthy, and that's that's how I got here. Everything Michael. he said was uh, true, except for two things. Number one, he said we hired Michael. Not true. Hired implies getting paid. Number two, <laughs> I think what I said was you are an idiot if you don't think that you sharing your struggle, you sharing, showing vulnerability. It was like, that is such gold. And the reason why it's gold is because people don't do it, right? Like if everyone did it, if everyone was open and honest about um, their mental health, then it wouldn't stand out when you do it. But I've I've heard the chief speak. Uh, I've And I, I've thought, oh my God, I mean, th- this guy was born to do that. I mean, this shouldn't be like compliments going back and forth, but he's really quite amazing. And if I'm a firefighter, There's nothing that's going to empower me more to reach out to someone and ask for help than hearing 
the chief talk about the way he sees it. Michael, you, you you certainly have seen the fire side of things. Is it different than the rest of the world? I mean, there there are people, I guess, that demographic that is susceptible. Is that something that's uh, that's resonated with you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I've spoken to an audience of firefighters probably um, eight times. I've spoken probably the same number to cops, uh, OPP, RCMP. Uh, I want to speak more to military because I think it's it's kind of all, all the same. But in the normal world, which would be, uh, let's say, a group of broadcasters, for instance, a world that I know, or a group of dentists. My dad was a dentist. If, if you would never look out at that audience and say, you know, I bet all of you have mental health challenges. All of you. You would never say that. You would never say, you know, I, I think the assumption, and I, and I told the chief this, the assumption should be that every single firefighter is going to experience PTSD. And if they don't, you haven't lost anything by making this like a preemptive strike. So I, I think that it's hugely different. I, I just, I can't imagine anyone going through a decade of being a firefighter with the things that I know you see and coming out of it unscathed mentally. I think that's impossible. And the same thing for cops. If you work the highways, the things that you see, we're not, we're not, I don't think, born with the capability of handling that without assistance. I, I think, you know, it, it's, I want to, I want to say breaking barriers. I want to say change. And when I think both of you have impacted your professions per se, in terms of Michael, for you being on television in 2009 and, and coming out and saying that, that was unheard of. That was unheard of in the time. And it's to me like people, if someone lights up a cigarette on a TV show, that today, that would be a shock. Uh, again, do you re did you at the time realize the yeah. impact you were going to have? No, I, I didn't, which, which is, you know, which is, I think, a good thing from the standpoint. Um, and, and to some extent, I mean, I recognize the impact now. But I don't I, I don't allow myself to go, wow, look what I did, uh, because like like I'm telling you, this is incredibly easy for me. It's like all roads of my life have led me to this conversation or to a stage talking about mental illness because I'm a professional talker. That's all I've done in my career. Uh, and I have this illness that's been with me and I have this willingness, um, I think, because of my upbringing. I have this willingness to share without fear of being seen in a certain way. So this is the most natural thing in the world. And uh, I had no idea, none, that it was needed. Like it was such a shock to me. I showed, I remember the night of uh, that show went to air. I sh remember showing an email to my wife saying, you know, read this. And, and she was reading it. She was going, oh my God, you know, like, how did this happen? Uh, because it was totally unintentional, and I had no idea that it was needed like that. What would you do if you had to do that again? I mean, today, fast forward to 2024, and and come out and say that again. And I guess I guess in the playing field we're in now, uh, would would it would it be surprising? Would it be I guess not have the same effect? Correct. Uh, I think it would have uh, a similar effect. Uh, you know, we talk about this all the time. People say to me, oh, we, you know, uh, is the stigma still a problem? Or people will say the stigma, you know, I think we're doing a lot better. And I, I always say that's kind of above my pay grade. I mean, how would I know that, right? You know, anecdotal situations are the only thing that I'm exposed to. But I know from talking to people every day about this that there's uh, still a large portion of our population in Canada, people that won't share their mental health with 
anyone, or they'll share it with someone like their family doctor, which is better than nothing for sure, but they won't share it with other firefighters in this case, or they won't share it with their family. So I think it's still a problem. And if you ask me what I would do differently, uh, I would take this back not to, um, to say today, in the past, I would have done this way earlier. You know, I never spoke about mental health on TV because I thought, like I said, no one would care. I didn't know there was a value. When I wasted all those years with this amazing platform every day of having a, a national audience, uh, I wish I had done it sooner. Matt, what would you say has been the impact uh, on the fire service, not only in Toronto? And I, again, you obviously speak about your department where you have a massive, massive employment base of people where you compare that to a volunteer fire department with 20 members that are today talking mm -hmm. mental health. And again, talk about the impact you think you, you've had and, and mental health has had on the, on, the, on the fire service. Tom, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think the biggest change is that our business, our, the fire service is talking about mental health today. And when I think back over my career, I think I'm in year 32. When I started in this business and I started as a volunteer, as you know, Tom, never, there was, there would have never been a point in time where I would have come back from an incident and I would have walked into one of my officer's offices or to the chief's office and said, you know, I'm really struggling with that call. That bothers me. Never would that have happened. And I'm really proud of the fact and I'm really encouraged by the fact that that increasingly so that's happening today. I walk into our fire stations and sit down at the kitchen table and anyone that understands a fire service knows that the culture of every fire service happens at the kitchen table, doesn't matter where you are. When, when I sit down at the kitchen table, these are common, comfortable conversations that are being had today. And I, I'm really, I am really encouraged by that. And the fact that people are, you know, are we, are we there yet? No. Are we perfect yet? Absolutely not. But the fact that the conversations are on the table, that's great. The fact, you know, we're really blessed in Toronto. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is we we successfully got approval for and now have, we employ a full-time staff psychologist. And, you know, that would have never been thought of before. But today we have a psychologist on staff who whose full-time job is is supporting and providing uh, acute care and uh, and referral services and support to the the professionals and the people that are doing the job here every day. I mean, how awesome is that? So, uh, and it, it all starts it starts one conversation at a time. And I'm I'm just really honored and really proud to be a part of some of those conversations. Yeah, I would say that the fire world that you're talking about uh, has progressed much faster and much further than a lot of other quote unquote worlds. Um, you know, whether it's doctors or lawyers or whether it's teachers, uh, I would say uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you guys had a lot further to go, right? I mean, the the number of firefighters, the percentage is so much higher with PTSD, for instance. Uh, there's so much more vulnerable to mental illness than other groups. So, so the need was there a lot more. But I think at the core of the stigma is the perception of weakness that no one wants to be seen as weak, uh, especially a firefighter. Uh, the last thing you want to be seen as weak uh, because you know you're not weak, but that's when it comes to doing something that is physically threatening to you. We don't have that same confidence when it comes to mental health. 
And if you believe that your mental illness, uh, your symptoms, the way you feel is a reflection of weakness, then you're not going to share. So I think FIRE has done a really good job of uh, illustrating the fact that it's it's not about a weakness. It's not self-inflicted. It's not a choice. Uh, it comes with life. And in your case, it comes with the job. I visited a very good website, is sicknotweak.com. And I recommend people uh, stop by and have a look. Some Some interesting numbers that are posted there. And I'll just rattle off some of them and, and get your comments to them. 6.7 million Canadians living with mental health condition. 4,000 Canadians die by suicide every year. And one that I was, I've never seen this take on, but it makes perfect sense. $51 billion is the economic burden of mental illness in Canada. Speak to that, Michael. That that's that's I've never seen that before. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, uh, that's a big issue, right? Because if you can quantify the effect that mental illness has on a company like a big bank, then you're a lot closer to getting them to investing into the solutions for mental illness, right? I mean, let's face it, public companies have no conscience. Public companies uh, have no real goal other than making money. Uh, and if you can show them that it's good for business to provide resources for your employees, then that's that's a huge thing and that's gonna open up doors and I think it has opened up doors. Um, so there's a return on investment uh, and it's obviously from what you just described, really, really needed. 4,000 people will take their lives uh, or probably took their lives in 2023. Uh, when I go to speak to parents, uh, so parents of teens, I think it's a really important audience because teens, uh, as I would say in a speech, you know, uh, we all worry about our kids. Um, we all love our kids. Uh, and if you are like me, uh, prone to anxiety, then you worry a, a lot about your kids to the point where you can think about it all the time. And I say, you need to understand that if your kid, 16 years old, is gonna have a serious illness, chances are far greater it will be a mental illness than anything else. Kids get mental illness at the same rate as adults. Kids don't get uh, heart disease at the same rate as adults. Kids don't get cancer at the same rate as adults. But mental illness, they do. And if your kid is gonna die before your kid's 20, there is, by far the best chance that it will either happen in an accident or suicide. So that's where you should be investing at least some of your time in making part of the conversation. The business side of things, Matt, and I certainly understand from a budgetary standpoint, and I think it's probably a lot easier today, Matt, than it used to be to actually justify the spendings of hiring a psychologist to bring in mental health as part of a, of a line item. I mean, how easy is that now versus what it probably could have been? Yeah, it is. It's it's easier now, Tom, because I think that, you know, fortunately, these are discussions that are easier to have. And, you know, those that are in making the decisions financially are, are more open to this. But we're, we're now applying a very analytical lens to it. We apply a business lens to it. And as Michael described, you know, being able to to provide that cost benefit analysis against the cost of wages and salaries and benefits for uh, for staff psychologists against how is that translating into a reduction in sick time in a reduction in uh, the number of people off duty with occupational stress injuries and you know how literally how are we impacting people's health and safety and reducing the prevalence of suicide which we all know is a is a profound problem in emergency services so being able to write those business cases, come at them from, yes, from 
uh, uh, the position of we care, but also come at it from a business perspective and, and be able to show things like return on investment and cost benefit analysis. That's the language of the MBA. That's the language of the controller and finance folks. And when we can build those business cases, uh, we are an example of an organization that's been successful in that quest. Is it, Matt, more proactive than reactive nowadays in mental health with your with your fire service? I hope so, Tom. Uh, it, it, it certainly is in the way that we are, that, that I think about it and the way that we are thinking about it. I'm encouraged by the fact that we, we have these conversations, uh, mental health and employee health and wellness is now part of, of every strategic planning conversation we're having. So it is certainly more proactive in those, in that sense. But uh, the unfortunate truth is we are still, we're still a long way downstream and as Michael described, we're still, you know, we're still dealing with an incredible number of people who are becoming injured uh, as, you know, as a result of their job or certainly being their injuries being exacerbated by their job. And that just is a reality. I can tell you in our look in, in our department in Toronto, our mental health and occupational stress injury claims out are outpacing occupational cancer by three to one right now. And it, it, I find that profoundly impactful and that's the unfortunate truth so i think every every hour we spend talking about this every time we're putting effort into every resource we're committing to it uh has to be making a difference and and i'm i would say that i'm optimistic that it is but we've got a heck of a long way to go i and and michael probably knows this as well being connected to the fire service to uh, at least to a point that over 80 percent of the fire service in this country is a volunteer fire service and my concern has always been about the volunteers that the paid people, it's harder to leave. The volunteers, I wonder if they're leaving with mental health concerns and how do we reach out? How do we reach those people or is that is uh, is that impossible? No, I, I don't think it's impossible at all. I, I think that, um, you know, talk is prevention. I think that if uh, you're talking about volunteers, uh, now you live in hope, right? Um, do you have a fire department or do you share with other towns? You have a fire department, you have a fire chief. I'm going by your nodding head now. Uh, and so uh, that chief would have how many volunteers would would be uh, um, on average you, minimum 15 volunteers okay. uh, for okay. a department? If the chief sits them down and talks about it, if he sits them down or she sits them down and says, OK, you know what? Um, let's let's start from scratch here. We are going to make mental health part of the discussion because mental health in our field, I mean, I would say this for anyone in any field, but specifically in the fire field, it is going to be a problem. It is a problem. And the best way to get people to come out from the shadows from, you know, the ultimate tragedy is when somebody takes their own life and, and we and we all go, I had no idea. Never spoke to anyone about it. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, talk isn't the solution to everything, but it is the start to the solution. Um, so if this fire chief in Hope talks to his or her 15 firefighters and makes it part of the discussion, uh, does what, uh, you know, the, I've heard the chief talk about it, you know, unloading. You know, when you, when you come back from uh, something that was very traumatic, being able to talk about it with others, uh, because you can't talk about it with your family. You can't go home and talk about this horrible thing you saw with your wife and children, A, because you wouldn't want them to be horrified, but B, because you know they could never understand what it's like. That's why people came back from World War II, never spoke about it, ever. 
because no one who didn't fight could possibly understand what it was like. Michael, what would make you happy at the end of the day? Uh, this is the journey. Uh, is the journey always going to be on or will there ever be a, a solution or a resolution? God, I hope there's no solution or resolution. What would I talk about? You know, <laughs> this is this has given me a total second act on my life. You know, it's uh, uh, I left TSN a few years ago and it's it's you know, people will say either. Uh, when I say people, people who want to engage me in conversation because they recognize me from television or mental health will say uh, either what are you doing now? Or even more often, I will hear someone say, hey, uh, I know you're talking about mental health. Good for you or whatever. So uh, this has given me a totally new course, a fresh course, a different course in my life. When you talk about sports on television, uh, I loved it. That's all I ever wanted to do. Grew up in Toronto. All I ever wanted to do was talk about sports. Um, not that any other fields really wanted me. It wasn't like I was being recruited by med schools or law schools. But this is what I wanted to do. Uh, and I got to do it. But the thing is, you're not doing anything for mankind, really. You're, you're just neutral. Like a lot of jobs are neutral. Firefighting is a positive job for mankind. But most jobs, you know, if you work in a convenience store, if you're a broadcaster like I was, you're not doing anything good or anything bad. But then I find out I have something inside me, which is incredibly easy to give, that does make a difference in people's lives. Matt, you, uh, you, we make a difference in people's lives. And, and Michael just said that you're satisfied so far uh, that you've made, or will you ever be satisfied? I don't think we're ever going to be there, Tom. I think that we're doing better. I think our industry is doing better. I think the the leaders that, like yourself, the leaders that I have the privilege of working alongside are doing better. And that's, I think, first and foremost, because we as individuals are becoming more comfortable about talking and about, uh, you know, becoming more willing to talk. And, uh, you know, I'll just, I can echo what Michael said. It is amazing to me, and I've had the chance to see it. It's amazing how simply having the willingness to talk about yourself and to be vulnerable and admit, like the first time that I ever said publicly, and uh, admittedly, the first time I ever did it was on Instagram of all places. But the first time that I ever spoke publicly about doing this quarterly, what we call checkup from the neck up, which is my my quarterly visit with my psychologist. The first time I ever talked about that was in this impromptu Instagram post with a camera with my phone set on the dash of my truck sitting in the parking lot. I remember and, well. Yeah. And, it, you know, I don't know why I did that, but I just I was sitting there thinking, you know, this I should probably just talk about this. And I talked about it. And that set off this course of action. There were a number of reactions. I had a whole bunch of haters emerge, right? Immediately, a whole bunch of people came out and it's like, wow, you're clearly weak and you have no business being the fire chief in Toronto. And if you can't take the heat, you need to get out of the kitchen and what a disgrace you are. That that emerged immediately. But there was a more important set of voices that came out to say, I never imagined ever hearing you or anyone like you talk about that. And thank you for telling me that, that, that that's okay. And that just that just gave me this opportunity to talk. And now I talk very openly about the fact that, yes, that still happens. I actually did my checkup from the neck up two days ago this week. Um, and, you know, I talk openly about what we talk about. It's about things like resilience. And, you know, I often look at it that I see it very much like the, the experts. When my doctor in my annual physical takes blood out of my vein and then the scientists and the, all of the really smart people go and, they, they look at things I can't see or feel. I can't feel cholesterol. I can't feel blood sugar unless it's really bad. 
I need those experts to look and tell me that I'm okay or to tell me that I need to make changes to stay healthy. That's exactly what my psychologist does when I meet with him. And my question to him is, how am I doing? You know, am I, I feel fine, but you know, are you, am I coping well? Are do you have recommendations for me about how I continue to stay healthy and be resilient? And it's something Tom that I have come to love. And the fact that I'm willing to talk about it isn't hard work for me. I, I hope that everybody has the same experience that I do because it's, it's a really important part of my life. And frankly, it makes me better at my life. It makes me a better husband. It makes me a better fire chief, it makes me better at my job. I think if I'm getting anything out of today, it's obviously taking certain steps. If you, you have the opportunity, but never underestimate anybody in the fire service or anyone listening that the influence never underestimate the influence you have on on someone on others and i think we need to uh we need to use that influence yeah well well said uh i that sounds like the uh the tone for the wrap-up um and i i don't want to wrap this up because i'm quite enjoying it so i'm just going to ramble on now until you have the guts to step up and cut me off uh <laughs> because i i am uh kind of well known from television for being the guy who cuts you off if he doesn't like the answer so i just before uh, anything else uh this is great uh being involved uh in a peripheral way um, with fire services, getting the chance to speak to firefighters is really a gift for me uh, because I don't feel like I owe a debt to a lot of people in our society. I don't feel like I owe a debt to accountants for doing what they do, but I feel like I owe a debt to firefighters for doing what they do. And this, in a small way, uh, is an opportunity to, to um, even up that debt at least a little bit. I think it's time that I've said before to to a few conferences that I've spoke to and said on behalf of the fire service, uh, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> we don't do that enough. We don't say that enough as firefighters. And I think that uh, it's about time we all started saying that. So I appreciate your time today and thank you for sharing. Uh, check out uh, certainly sicknotweek.com. And uh, Matthew, uh, uh, Michael, thank uh, again. Uh, it's an important conversation. If you invite me, um, if you're listening in any place in Canada, if you invite me to come and speak to uh, firefighters in your area, I will be there. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. For more episodes, visit firefightingincanada.com.